ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I'm your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. Thank you for tuning in this week. Thank you for being a part of the program. I appreciate all of your um, audience and listenership and support. And uh, please continue uh, supporting this program because we have a lot of great things coming up for you. Uh, this week we have an interesting little episode. It's a very fun little niche episode, I would say. Um, and it's a nice little precursor to a series we have coming up. And I, I believe I had mentioned this earlier. Maybe it was last week or the week before. Um, but in, in April, we are going to be uh, starting a Liberty Candidate series here on the Liberty ahead of the 2018 midterm elections. I'm trying to get all of them ahead of each each individual's uh, primary. Um, so starting in April, we're going to be talking with people from the uh, local level, running for local office, state office, and even federal office and in Congress and in, um, in, in the Senate. Um, and we're going to be talking about how they plan on implementing uh, liberty in the legislature, and as a as a sort of a precursor to that, I uh, have a fun little episode today about somebody who wants to limit all of their terms even before they get there. Um, and his name is Nick Tumbleides, and he is the executive director of U.S. Term Limits. Um, and we talk a lot about uh, this is a subject that we haven't really talked about before. Um, this is a subject that I think is really interesting because there's a lot of divide in the liberty community about this. Um, surprising, well, not necessarily surprisingly, because there's a lot of things that libertarians just like to get all up in a fuss about. <laughs> so uh, despite the fact that we have a lot of things in common, we also have a lot of differences, which I think is good and healthy. Um so I, I address with him some of those concerns, some of those objections to term limits that he has. I allow him to make his case as to why term limits are necessary um, and what kind of work U.S. term limits the organization is doing uh, to to further the cause of liberty. And I think this is a really, really interesting episode that you'll you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of. Um and again, thank you for, for joining us this week. Uh, this past week, I have been terribly sick. So if if you, uh, <laughs> I was in the hospital just just, uh, just a little bit less than a week ago. If it sounds like I am uh, struggling at some point during this interview, please excuse that because that's probably why. Um, but I, there's no reason to worry because I am I'm back here now. Um, and in the next couple episodes next week, I, I do want to give a little precursor here. Next week, um, we are going to have an Easter episode, an Easter-based episode, and we're going to talk about how uh, Jesus Christ was actually one of, if not the greatest uh, freedom fighter and liberty lover uh, in history. And that's going to be a, a very fun episode, and, and I'll be talking. It'll, it'll sort of be a follow-up to the one we did earlier with um, how libertarians and, and Christians can coexist, and not only coexist, but the philosophies are actually um, right in line with the, each other. Um, and, and this is a little bit of a follow-up, but it, it's also just me personally 
and uh, this is one that I have looked forward to for some time, so I, I'm excited to share that with you. The week after that, I am in the process of moving right now, so the week after that, I will be gone, um, but there will still be an episode because I have asked uh, uh, Stephen Kent, we had him on back in December to talk about Star Wars, um, and he's he's the host of his own podcast called Beltway Banthas. I asked him to come on and guest host, and he will be he will be joining the program and taking over in my absence on uh, the week after next. And then after that, when when I come back, we will be beginning our Liberty Candidate series. So we have a lot of things uh, to dive into. We have a lot of things in store for you, and a lot of things that I <laughs> am working on behind the scenes that I have yet to tell you about. But it will be nonetheless just as exciting. So. Uh, stay tuned for all that, uh, and I will shut up now and let you enjoy this interview, which I hope you really enjoy. I think it was really fun and really, really interesting. Um, so without further ado, uh, please sit back and enjoy my interview with Nick Dumbledore about U.S. term limits. All right, Nick, welcome to Maliberty. I am thrilled to have you on. Welcome. Caleb, glad to be on. Um, so before we get into it, I would like for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you became involved in U.S. term limits, and what U.S. term limits is, what their what their mission is, um, and how they're working to achieve that. Sure. Yeah, I, I uh, started out in uh, grassroots political activism, uh, mainly conservative libertarian style activism, uh, not unlike what you and, and many others in the liberty movement are doing. Uh, you know, I actually worked on uh, training college students uh, via the Leadership Institute programs, and eventually it, it dawned on me that um, that we we would not get any of the pro liberty reforms that we want if we couldn't change the basic structure of how Congress worked, right? It wouldn't really matter if we were to elect a new captain of the ship from time to time because something was structurally wrong with the vessel that we were sailing. And I, I identified that problem as careerism in Congress, this, this idea that you know, when you give someone the job for life, they kind of grow disconnected from the people. You know, the incentives to keep power overwhelms um, whatever motivated that person to run for office in the first place. And so the, the end result of that is cronyism, I would say, at best mm -hmm. and at worst, uh, corruption. And, and so I realized we would never get those reforms we wanted if we didn't change the structure. And I think nothing can change that structure like term limits. So I, I moved into um, the field of term limits activism, which I didn't even know existed, um, <laughs> hit my stride as the uh, Florida state director for U.S. term limits, worked my way up to executive director of the national organization. So today what U.S. term limits does is we lead the national movement to term limit Congress and we're doing so through state legislatures. We're actually asking state legislatures to um, invoke their power under Article 5 uh, to propose a constitutional amendment that would term limit members of Congress. So uh, there, there's a lot that I, I want to get into, um, and I really like the, the sort of federalism approach to it, because uh, obviously 
trying to go about it from the top down, Congress is, is not very likely to limit themselves, limit their own powers. Um, but I, I kind of want to get into a few objections that I hear a lot from, from term limits, because I myself am, am certainly a supporter, but I hear this a lot, even, even among the, the, the liberty community, um, certain objections that they, they might have uh, with the idea of, of term limits. Um, and, and, of course, you would be the perfect, <laughs> the perfect uh, person to discuss this with. So uh, yeah. there's a lot of people who really aren't on board um, that, that I know and that I talk to um, from the position that it, it sort of removes the responsibility away from, from the public. It, it takes that, that initial responsibility away from that. What, what would you say to, to something like that? Well, I, I think that um, it's, a, it's a tough decision for voters um, when you're faced with this idea right now of whether to elect your incumbent for yet another term or whether to bring in someone new because you know even if you don't like your incumbent you you have to face the reality that Washington is a seniority based system and because your incumbent has been there 10 or maybe 15 years he or she could be uh, moving up uh, on a committee uh, they could be gaining more influence they could be uh, climbing up the ladder toward leadership and and right now because it's a seniority based system you have to ask yourself do I really want to throw all that away for my district and gamble on on somebody new? And and so the voters are kind of in a game of chicken with one another right now where they can't really just simply vote out their incumbent because of the way Washington works. If you were to have term limits, the gap in seniority between the newest member and the longest serving member would be considerably smaller. So voters would feel like they had the freedom to vote somebody out. Uh, without really losing much. You also have to remember, Caleb, that right now, um, the, the folks who, who actually challenge incumbents are most of the time either not serious candidates because they, they can't afford the election, or it's just another career politician. So you're faced with either electing the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Uh, we don't have true competitive elections in this country because the power of incumbency is so strong. You, you only really see a competitive election for Congress when a seat is open. And unfortunately, you have to rely most of the time on like an indictment or a death for that to occur because incumbents so seldomly leave office. Right. So with term limits, you'd be guaranteeing competitive elections on a regular basis. And, you know, as a libertarian, there's nothing I like more than competition and the freedom to choose among many options. So U.S. term limits works not just to limit, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they work not to limit just the, um, the, the terms of Congress, but also the terms of, of many levels of government, correct? Yes, that is right. Um, we would term limit the dog catcher if that were an <laughs> option for us. Um, and, and as you pointed out earlier, it is really difficult to get a constitutional amendment uh, for term limits on Congress. We like to say around here that it's like getting the chickens to vote for Colonel Sanders. Right, um, right. Hence the reason we're going through the states. But yeah, we are for term limits at all levels of government. And um, we actually work on a lot of initiative and referendum campaigns mm -hmm. all over the country where you know citizens can hit the streets with petitions directly 
and term limit their city council, county commission, uh, state legislature. We just think that the, the idea of a career politician has not proved to be a good one really at any level of government. You know, I, where I live here in Florida, we have some city council members who've been in office 20, 30 years. And it certainly seems to me that they're the ones most likely to get hauled away in handcuffs. Um, because they start to abuse the position after a certain amount of time. So, yeah, we work on term limit campaigns at, at all levels of government, not just Congress. So with that being said, do you think that there is the chance that um, if if until every everyone is term limited, do you think that it could possibly uh, empower the wrong people in, in a sense like certain... Um, Certain levels are limited, but other levels have not yet gotten there. So it would it would perpetuate the system rather than limit it. You know, I I, I don't think so. And I think right now we might actually have a, an issue with that at the federal level, but in the opposite direction. Because right mm -hmm. now we do have a president, um, you know, an administrative state that mm -hmm. a president who is term limited to two four year terms, but we have a Congress that can stay in office for life. We also have, you know, 36 governors who have term limits and 15 state legislatures. So, you know, if you're worried about an imbalance, I would suggest that that might be happening in the other direction where the, the lack of term limits on certain offices like Congress gives them a staying power that, uh, that disrupts the level playing field. If you want to bring back a level playing field, I think term limiting Congress is, is the direction you need to go in. Um, so obviously, it's it's pretty across the board, regardless of uh, of who the who the candidate or politician would be. Um, they would all be limited. Do you see any sort of danger in also limiting the right people? Because obviously, they are far less far less prevalent than um, than than most uh, than most politicians are in Washington. I like to call this the Ron Paul question. Right. Yeah. Um, because he was, uh, I think Tim Russert once put this question to him when he was on uh, Meet the Press. He said, you know, you've been in Congress for, I don't know, 20 years, and you're talking about term limits. Mm -hmm. And I think Ron Paul's answer was great. He said, term limits only work when you apply them across the board within a certain legislature. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if, if you go with a self-term limiting pledge, you say, you know, let's get the good members of Congress to promise to leave office after – you know, three or four terms, then you're only really draining the swamp of the good guys. That doesn't work. The right. Nancy Pelosi's and Mitch McConnell's of the world are either going to never make that promise or make it and break it. So what's the use? And his argument was, I'm for term limits on the entire Congress. I'm for a constitutional amendment that's going to apply to everybody. And that is exactly um, where U.S. term limits stands. We have a, a pledge for members of Congress, and it, it doesn't ask them to get out of office after a certain amount of time. It just asks them to co-sponsor and vote for an amendment that would apply to everybody. So, you know, I, I think the guys who, are, the, the very small number of people who are in Washington and trying to do the right thing and, and support term limits, you know, it's great that we have a few of those, but if you ask them, if you ask Rand Paul, if you ask Thomas Massey, you know, would you rather be 2% of Congress or would you guys rather have a citizen legislature that listens to the people all the time? I think they would take that deal um, any day of the week. So you mentioned um, you, you mentioned uh, the term limits pledge. I, I do believe that U.S. term limits does have a, a, a pledge, correct? 
Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. so we, so can you tell us about that and 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 how successful that that is that has been? Sure. Well, we had uh, we were active in the early 1990s in this movement, and um, we had a little bit different strategy back then. We were asking state legislatures to pass like statutes and state constitutional amendments uh, to term limit Congress. And we were getting very close to forcing Congress to vote on a constitutional amendment. You know, you had the contract with America in 1994, Newt Gingrich, where every member of Congress would go home and tell their constituents, I'm for term limits. Yeah, don't worry about me. But we, we, we in the Congress, we just couldn't agree on what that ideal limit should be. So therefore, nothing got done. I mean, it was total divide and conquer strategy. It was nothing more than an excuse. So what we did at U.S. Term Limits is we came up with a pledge for a specific amendment, and it was the consensus term limits that have existed you know, within the movement for decades, three terms in the House, two terms in the Senate, and we asked candidates and incumbents to be exclusive uh, in their support of that proposal. This way, you know, they can't pull that same trick again. We're building um, unity. We're building consensus behind one proposal. And we have uh, bills in the House and Senate right now. We have House Joint Resolution 6, which is co-sponsored by uh, Representative Ron DeSantis, who's out of Florida. And then we have Senate Joint Resolution 2, which is sponsored by Ted Cruz. And I think between the two of those, there's about um, approximately like 70 members of Congress who were on these bills. So the movement is definitely uh, on the upswing. You know, politicians are seeing now that they're ignoring um, the anti-establishment issues at their own peril. And so term limits has been getting more play. You know, President Trump came out for it when he ran in 2016. And uh, shortly thereafter, President Obama even came out and said term limits were a good idea. So I, I can't think of an, an issue that would unify people more than one that's got 80% support from the public as well as support from those two presidents who can, can't seem to agree on anything. <laughs> right. Um, so where, where has the majority of your success uh, been? Has it has it been sort of through getting get, getting people on board to to limit the terms of Congress, or has there been more success and more practical success, I, su I suppose, uh, through some of the more local levels, the, the state and local levels? Well, if you're looking at just pure results of our term limits getting implemented or not, that is happening at the local level. And over the last 10 years or so, we have assisted in hundreds of local term limits campaigns, all sorts of different city, state, uh, county campaigns. And we've won those at about a 98% clip. 98% of those term limits initiatives have passed. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a tremendous track record at the local level. Um, at the federal level, as I mentioned, we're asking state legislatures to initiate a convention to term limit Congress. And the Constitution says you need 34 of them to pass those, those resolutions for what we're calling the Term Limits Convention in order to get it started. This project is, is very new. We just launched it. We've already passed in Florida and in Alabama. We're halfway there in, um, in Georgia, Utah, Tennessee. Uh, Missouri and Arizona. So we're making very good progress really early on. You know, a lot of these state legislators already have term limits. And so it's not very hard to persuade them, you know, 
why not you know force Congress to play by the same rules? Why allow a double standard where Congress members can serve forever? And that argument has been resonating with state legislators. Has has uh, with in the state legislatures and even in the localities has the results after implementing term limits um, been essentially what you would expect, or, or has there been some challenges, or what's what's that been like? You know, occasionally there are some challenges with, uh, you know, the way terms are staggered and the logistical aspects of, of implementing it, as well as making sure that when you do an initiative, you word it in an airtight way yeah. so that, you know, some of these slime balls can't find ways around the language. And, right. You know, we've had situations where a term limit initiative has been drafted inartfully. And the guy will resign, like with five minutes to go in his term, and then try to run again for a third consecutive term. And we've had to take these people to court. So there are challenges in how you draft it. As to the results, um, they have been very solid. I mean, term limits are kind of a self-proving thing. The idea is that you want more competitive elections. We know that open seat elections are the most competitive, and we know term limits guarantees those to you on a regular basis. So there's no doubt that you get more competitive elections. As to the quality of the government that you get, there is a, a very persuade, uh, pervasive myth out there that term limits have just like wrecked state legislatures. They've allowed you know these novice rookie guys to run the show. They don't know what they're doing. They're controlled by bureaucrats, all that. That is fake news, <laughs> Caleb. Uh, you go to uh, the Mercatus Center, you go to ALEC, you go to any group that ranks states based on their fiscal health, and you see that the states with term limits on their legislatures are doing better than the states that don't have it. And in fact, the number one state in the country for fiscal health right now is Florida, where we've had term limits since 1992, and we don't allow any Speaker of the House to serve more than two years. Contrast that with Illinois, which is just you know the state where you, you can't find a term limit anywhere. They're, they're the worst in the country. They have $200 billion in debt, and their bonds were just downgraded to triple B minus, which is like one level above junk, and I think the worst in the history of any state. Right. So you know we know what political experience gets us, and it's a disaster. The idea of term limits is to get real life experience in politics and see whether that makes a difference. And so far, the results have been very positive. So what it sounds like is that the, the people who say that it's it's wrecked certain states, that it sounds like it just, uh, it just prevents their specific policy um, ideas from being implemented. Yeah, and the people who say that, most of the time, as you, as you say, they have a conflict of interest. You know, yeah. the lobbying community loves to say that. Lobbyists are the first people to tell you um, that term limits will um, give too much power to lobbyists. <laughs> well, then why are you trying to get rid of it? <laughs> Don't you want to be in charge? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. You know, I've not had a single lobbyist ever walk into my office and say, Nick, I really want to help you get term limits because I want to take advantage of some legislators. It never happens. Lobbyists know that, you know, the, the key to their profession is building a relationship and cultivating that for as long as possible. I mean, Jack Abramoff, who was like the most corrupt lobbyist in the history of our country, once said that term limits are a lobbyist's worst nightmare because a politician who stays in office for life is worth his weight in gold. There's nothing the lobbying community hates more than to see those relationships that they build and invest lots of money in 
severed on a regular basis, um, which term limits do. Uh, do you think that I, I'm sort of reminded of this this thing that that Thomas Massey likes to say a lot that uh, a politician usually has about a, a shelf life of about six months or whatever, and uh, <laughs> and after that, you know, that's when you you figure out who's who's legit and who's just uh, gone by the wayside. Do you think term limits would help? I guess, elongate that shelf life or, or at least keep it fresh enough to where it, it doesn't matter as much? You know, I, I think it I think it probably would. Um, what you tend to see with, I mean, I would put the shelf life at a little bit longer than that. I mean, it seems like, you know, first term, second term, most of the people that we elect are keeping their promises. Fair and, and decent, at least. Yeah, they're they're at least staying true to their principles. Right. And then after that, it's like they just start drinking from a cauldron or something and yeah. and everything changes. And I used to be at a loss to explain this, but then I, I kind of realized that, you know, it takes building connections with this uh, this Washington network of lobbyists and PACs and, and special interests and government contractors. It takes doing that in order to preserve your power, in order to keep yourself in office. And when these guys can, are allowed to develop uh, you know, pathological addiction to power and to, to re-election, they have a great incentive to build those relationships and to forget about the constituents back home. So I, I like term limits because we get a chance to cut them off before that problem grows out of control. Um. I'm I'm curious. Have you like have you found any support um, from any left leaning organizations or <clears throat> politicians or anybody like that who uh, where there's very clearly liberty uh, Republicans who support yeah. this incentive? But is there anybody on the other side of the aisle who 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 has come to you and say, you know, I I disagree with X Y and Z politics or or you know the people that may support this, but I support this individual initiative. We see amazing support from um, from Democrats among the general public. So when you okay. poll this issue, you find that over 70% of Democrats support term limits. Yeah. Um, and when we put it on the ballot, it usually passes with between 70 and 90% overall. But that doesn't mean that the Democratic politicians and, and interest groups are coming out for it. And I think part of that is that it has been kind of typecast as a Republican issue based mm -hmm. on the fact that the Republican Congress ran with it so many years ago. You know, I was at a uh, uh, left leaning campaign finance event <clears throat> in New Orleans, excuse me, <clears throat> in New Orleans several weeks ago. And I actually asked uh, Cenk Uger about term limits. And I said, uh, Cenk, what do you think of this? And he goes, oh, that's a Republican issue. I said, <laughs> no, it's, it's really not. I mean, I have the polling right here. Take a look. Democrats love this issue, too. So I think there's an education campaign needed among Democrats before we're really going to start to see traction uh, with them. But, hey, you know, politicians on both sides of the aisle are opportunistic. So if that polling makes its way into the hands of Democratic candidates and consultants, maybe we'll start to see more people running on it. You never know. Is that really the the, the biggest challenge in the communication of this, uh, that, you know, trying to break down the partisan barriers of, barriers of, of the, uh, the cloud surrounding this issue? Or, or what 
if if it isn't, yeah. then what else is uh, possibly it, an issue? No, that is that is a big challenge, and part of it is just the overall tribalism that we see in our politics. Yeah. You know, um, a friend told me that uh, Pennsylvania is now pro free trade after Trump came out <laughs> against it. Yeah, you know, pe- people tend to disagree with something just because someone they don't like has said it, rather than looking at you know the actual merits of and, the position until their guy gets in and and says it. it yeah, once their guy gets in, totally great. But right. as long as it's just the other one, you know, we're going to continue to cause a fuss over that. Right. But I think I think with Democrats, the angle that we need to work, and you're right, it's a huge barrier, is the campaign finance reform angle, because okay. they they want to get money out of politics. That's a huge issue for them, even though you know a lot of the candidates don't practice what they preach. <laughs> they they want to get it out, and one of the things that you see when you look at congressional elections is the longer someone has been in office, the more money they raise and the more more money is coming from Washington interest groups rather than from their district. And the, the bigger the gap is between how much they can raise and how much any challenger can put up with. I mean, we, we've gotten to the point where, you know, the average incumbent member of Congress spends more on taxpayer funded mail from their congressional office than the average challenger spends on their entire campaign. I mean, we have an epidemic of uncompetitive elections, politicians who are bought and paid for by lobbyists. But when you have an open seat election, the, the barriers to entry drop, and it's a lot easier for people to run for office. You don't need as much money to win an open seat as you do to say, you know, knock off um, Mitch McConnell. And so term limits, in a sense, really is a campaign finance reform because it, it opens up the possibility of serving to a greater number of people. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting um, perspective to uh, to approach it with because that's that's certainly something that wasn't my initial thought <laughs> when when thinking about why I would support term limits, but that's that's certainly uh, a valid point. Um, what do you make of the angle that uh, it's also good to support term limits? Uh, sort of the the Seventeenth Amendment uh, angle, where uh, a lot of libertarians are against the Seventeenth Amendment because we are not, in fact, a, a pure democracy. Is there is there any sort of a merit in that idea that goes along with with term limits as well? You know, I, I think it's interesting because a lot of people who would criticize term limits on the basis that, you know, it takes away voter choice also tend to be against the um, 17th Amendment and right. want to restore, bring that choice back to the state legislature. So right. it's, it's quite the, uh, the interesting dynamic there. Um, you know, I, I think that in, in some cases you with the Senate, you know, that was designed to be uh, modeled after the House of Lords. It mm-hmm. was supposed to be a more deliberative, more senior body with less turnover mm-hmm. um, and more more long-term statesmen. The House was supposed to be you know, very democratic, very populistic, directly accountable to the people with rapid turnover. You know, Until 1900, the average tenure in the House was only two terms. Hmm. Um, and so I, I think that there's a place I – mean, we don't have a pure democracy. We don't, we're not purely majoritarian here. But I think the House of Representatives was always intended to be democratic. And with term limits, the way that we reflect the founders' intentions for the two chambers is that we call for a six-year 
term limit in the House in order to you know preserve that notion of you know more populism. And we call for a 12-year limit in the Senate so they can be more senior, more deliberative. We think that that really does reflect the balance that they wanted between the two chambers. Um, where um, would be say let's just say that you you managed to get term limits all across the country, um, all up and down every every level of government. What what would be the next logical step? Or have um, you gotten that far? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great – the next logical step I think would be stopping Congress from repealing the term limits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, look, look what's happening in uh, China and Russia. It really is what, what you see after passing term limits is the same politicians affected try to get out from under them. So you know we'd have to be very vigilant about that. But big picture, um, what we're trying to do here is is not just – enact term limits, but also kind of establish this Article 5 convention as the go-to approach for people who are seeking a big change in Washington, but can't get it done in Congress because it's against self-interest of the Congress members. And so I think if, if we get term limits through this, we would establish the process and then you could see all kinds of other groups with great ideas, like, for example, balanced budget amendment mm -hmm. or wanting to reform congressional pensions or a line item veto. You would see all sorts of other groups trying this approach to do an end run around Congress. And we would have a real shot at getting, you know, some reforms that have been held back for you know, generations. So that that I think is um, kind of a little bit pie in the sky. But from the bird's eye view, there's a lot of potential in this movement. Um, so a few uh, questions before we, we wind down here. Um, sure. Personally, where, where, um, where can people find uh, more about U.S. term limits? Go to termlimits.com. That is our website. That is where you can sign the petition and immediately get involved to be a volunteer in your state. I mean, like I said, we need 34 state legislatures to make the call for, for congressional term limits. And so we have campaign staff and volunteers all over the country who are working on this. And if you sign up, we will make sure that a member of our team contacts you and gets you involved if you're not quite ready to sign up, it's termlimits.com is also the place to go to to learn about term limits. I mean, we've got the history there. We've got a blog, you know, letting you know what's new in the movement. Mm -hmm. And we've also got a, a section called Myth Busting 101 where we mm -hmm. tend to try to shoot down a lot of the objections that people have uh, about term limits. And there are quite a few of those coming, not from ordinary people, of course, but from right. the permanent political class. And it's important that we're always ready with a response. So go to termlimits.com. There's a wealth of content there. You can also look up your congressman and senator to see where they stand on term limits. We have a scorecard. Um, so put, pop in your zip code and you can know within minutes where your congressman is. Um, who is, who's been sort of the, the, the best champion of, of, uh, term limits on the federal level? It tends to change a lot because the, the pro term limits guys like to practice what they preach. And most of the time they don't stay in one seat for too long. Right. Um, but I would say that in the house, no one has been stronger than Congressman 
DeSantis. Um, he's also running for governor of Florida this year. And um, in the Senate, there are quite a few, you know, really solid champions. But um, I would have to say that Rand Paul and Ted Cruz are probably at the top of that list. Uh, they have been very outspoken for this since they were first elected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are, there's no signs of, of that enthusiasm dying down. I mean, they're very serious about getting the amendment done. Um, this could be uh, applicable to term limits or it could be um, really applicable to, to anything. But what, what book would you uh, recommend to people who might want to learn more about this kind of stuff? They might want to learn mm. some of the history or just a book that you just recommend. That is a great question. Um, I recommend the book Extortion by Peter Schweizer. Um, definitely check. Peter Schweizer is a watchdog uh, researcher. He's written several books about Congress, but I think his best one is Extortion because he really pulls back the curtain and lets the reader know how the sausage is made in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of people think that the um, the well-heeled interests come to the congressman demanding favors. And, you know, that's how the system becomes corrupted. And Schweizer, he makes an, a, a really convincing case that it's the other way around, that members of Congress are involved in a very deep extortion racket. Um, and it's something that you know, term limits would help cure. So I, I totally recommend that book. It's not a long read. I think your audience would love it. That sounds great. And finally, where can uh, everyone find you at online or on social media? Um, you can find me on Twitter if you can spell my handle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am at Tumbleides. That is T-O-M-B-O-U-L-I-D-E-S. And... Um, you know, you might have to, if there's a video version of this, you might have to attach a graphic spelling that out for people. <laughs> but right. yeah, I'm tweeting about term limits, uh, politics in general, uh, baseball, and all sorts of stuff that I'm interested in. So yeah, give me a follow. All right. Well, that sounds great. Um, Nick, I, I thoroughly enjoyed having you on. I think this has been a really good and really important uh, conversation that has really been needed uh, for, for quite some time on this show and just in general. Um, especially because we have a, a candidate series, a Liberty candidate series coming up next month. And I think this is a, a pretty good precursor to, to that. So thank you for, for coming on. And, um, I, I really enjoyed it. Hey, Caleb, thank you. And thanks for, uh, bringing Liberty to our generation. I really <laughs> appreciate that. Thank you very much. And for everyone uh, listening, you can follow me at Caleb Franz on Twitter, follow the show at Mill Liberty. You can subscribe to us on iTunes so that you'll never miss an episode or an update. Um, And be sure to check us out on Patreon. And and if you like what we're doing, please consider giving us your support. And until next week, we'll see you.